traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. A short clip of actionable highlights from this podcast episode was sent out to premium subscribers on Monday, October 24th. This was about eight minutes in length and contained only the most actionable items from the podcast episode, of course, without ads or announcements. The following day, October 25th, premium subscribers received the full podcast episode without ads or announcements. To take advantage of these benefits and many others, you can subscribe at the, at the website mentioned at the top, contrarian.supercast.com, or visit the substack, contrarianpod.substack.com. Benefits and prices are exactly the same at both websites. I failed to mention you also get the daily contrarian briefing every market day morning by 7 a.m. This is a look to the major earnings, economic data releases, and other items that are likely to move markets in the day ahead. Of course, from a contrarian perspective. So to take advantage of these benefits, become a premium subscriber. Prices start at around $10 a month, not as cheap as it was, but it is still quite affordable. And there are discounts also if you sign up for the year. So with that, let's now move on to this week's episode with Jason Shapiro. Here you go. Enjoy. Here with Jason Shapiro of JS Trading. I'm assuming the JS stands for Jason Shapiro. It does. uh, Good. A a CTA up in Rhode Island. And uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. And you're here because you have a contrarian approach that is based on market participation and market action. Let's start from with that. Maybe tell us a little bit about your approach, how it's contrarian and how it works. So, I mean, it really derives from the fact that I believe, you know, there's a very large percentage of people that lose money when they're trading, probably in the neighborhood of 95%. I was going to say, I thought it was 100%. Well, go on. 
probably 100%. So all I'm really trying to do is capture what they're losing. So I'm trying to find out what they're doing and be opposite them. And if they're losing it, then I'll capture it on the, on the good side. That's the general idea of what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm not trying to outthink the world. I'm not trying to think that I know where markets are going better than, than the rest of the world. I'm just trying to capture the fact that if everybody's losing, then I want to make. And so if I do the opposite of them, then I should make over time. So in order to kind of increase the odds, I'm looking at you know participation data. And when people are super crowded on one side of a market, I'm looking to take the other side. That's cool. That's very contrarian. So I guess where, where, do, you, where do you get this data and how do you know it's reliable? So the um, main data source that I use is the commitment to traders data, okay. you know, which comes from the CFTC every week. And that shows actual positioning, which I think is important because, you know, you can look at survey data and you can hear people talk about their bullish or bearish and all that. And that's one thing, but actual positioning, you know, shows where they're actually, where their money actually is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm looking to, uh, to fade. Okay. Isn't it dated though? The COT? I mean, it's three, day, three days old. Okay. And that doesn't matter? Not really. I mean, I'm trading for, you know, sort of major market turns. So three days doesn't really make that much of a difference when it comes to this data. I have an algo that'll make it daily data, which isn't perfect, but it's, okay. it's close enough. But I don't even think that that's necessary anyway, because it's a longer, it's not like I'm day trading off of this data or anything. How extreme does the positioning need to be for it to interest you? Very extreme. I'm cooking market, major market turns. So at major market turns, I need positioning to show that speculators are extremely short if I'm going to be buying and obviously extremely long if I'm going to be selling. Okay. So I, I, I take this data and I turn it into an oscillator, you know, which goes from zero to 100 and it needs to get above 95 for me to be a seller and it needs to get below five for me to be a buyer. Wow. Okay. So that's really extreme. Yeah. When did this happen historically or so? I, I mean, it happens all the time. I, oh, I, look, it does. I have 37 different markets that I, that I trade this in. Okay. So, you know, I, I get quite a number of signals over the course of the year. Um, by the way, not all that work, you know, right. um, all this really does in my view is it, it helps with risk reward, you know, when I lose, I lose one. When I make, I make five. So okay. if I can make, you know, 35 to 40% of the time, make five, lose one, then over time, that's how I, that's how I earn positive returns. Okay. Makes sense. So what is the, what's the thinking behind this? Is it just that every, that the crowd is wrong? Is it that simple? To me, it's pretty much that simple. You can look at it a little bit deeper too. You know, how does the market discount, right? Um, a lot of people like to think that price is, is the big discounting mechanism and, and look at it as like, oh, well, this thing's gone down a lot. Therefore, it must be a buy. I don't look at it like that. I look at it like everybody is short this thing. Therefore, it must be a buy. I look at that as the discounting method in the market, you know, not price. So if there's a bunch of short interest on a stock, then, I mean, I guess you don't trade vanilla stocks, but. but I don't trade individual stocks. I don't, short interest has really delayed data in stocks. And I don't really, I've looked at it before. I don't think short interest is, works that great over time um, in in stocks. Okay. Fair enough. So these futures, so uh, 37 markets can give us an idea, not naming all 37 is it just, is it, you know, S&P minis and, and some of the- Stock indices, fixed yeah. income, currencies, energies, metals, grains, softs. Okay. 
Okay, so so the basic stuff. Basically, much. everything that has liquidity, U.S. markets that have liquidity. Right. So can you talk us through some of the positioning that's happened maybe in the recent past that you've taken advantage of and how that's lined up? So, I mean, we caught the top in the stock market last November. The data didn't show that speculators had gotten massively long the entire run up all the way until November of last year. And that's when it said that, that it was time to get short there. And I wish I could say that I wrote it all the way down, but we wrote it down a lot. And uh, I, I've been flat now, but you know that, that's one example. You know, okay. Um, bonds up at the top two years ago were also showing speculators massively crowded long, and you know, I mean, I could go through a million examples, and I could also okay. go through a million examples where it showed it was crowded and it didn't work. So sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit Contrarian Supercast. Dot tech for more information. What are you seeing now then? Right now I'm seeing some pretty scary stuff, honestly, because you don't have anybody crowded short stocks, right? You don't have anybody crowded short bonds. You don't have anybody crowded long dollar, right? These are all the trends that people are trying to fade at this point, right? They're trying to find the bottom in stocks. They're trying to find the top in dollar. They're trying to find the bottom in bonds here, right? And they're using price and oversold and RSI and all these things, right? But I can tell you from a positioning standpoint, it's not showing that at all, which mm. to me is, is kind of scary. Like why aren't people massively short stocks here? Why aren't people massively short bonds here? Why aren't people massively long dollar here? I don't get it, but they're not, so. I wish they were, believe me, because then I could go the other way and hopefully make some money, but they're just not showing that. And as you see, the, the trends continue. Yeah. Is it maybe that they that things have been so volatile, they don't want to take large bets? And, and... No, because the positioning is a relative thing anyway. I, I think it's because they're all trying to pick the bottom. That's what I yeah. think. I think they're all trying to play the game of, oh, the Fed's going to stop raising rates soon. And once they do, you know, bonds are going to rip, stocks are going to rip you know, and all this stuff is going to happen. I think they're playing that game and that's what's showing up. They've spent the last five weeks buying fixed income. Yeah. They've spent the last four weeks buying stocks. They're all trying to pick this bottom here, you know, which right. is the most dangerous thing. I can tell you as somebody who does nothing but try and pick tops and bottoms in markets, right? Mm. The single most dangerous thing is trying to pick a bottom and a top in a market, right? Yeah. Uh, and as, especially when you're doing it based on price only or yeah. oversold or whatever you want to call it, you know, yeah. it's extremely dangerous. And it seems like the whole world is trying to do that here. But if they aren't crowded into trays and they have cash, then why would it be dangerous? It just doesn't mean, that means there wouldn't be much movement, right? It's dangerous because we're in a bear market and people are buying into it. You know what I mean? Which means okay. the bear market is probably going to extend, right? Right. And the danger, and that's all fine. Markets go up and down. It doesn't mean it's dangerous. It just means people lose some money. But to me, if the market's going to continue to go down and interest rates are going to continue to go up and stocks are going to continue to go down at some point, it could actually be dangerous, you know, right. because you're looking at some pretty bad outcomes there. People are going to start getting pissed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anything interesting happening in, in the commodity space or well, other soft commodities, I guess, which I don't follow all that closely. So the one place really where we're showing super crowded shorts 
Mm-hmm. The last few weeks has been lumber, which is a soft commodity in, in theory. Okay. And, you know, truthfully, all you've had, including today, all you've had is negative news in housing markets, which lumber is right. a big part of. Well, lumber from the beginning of October has gone from 400 to 530. So it's, so, ran, it's ran up. Okay. Yeah. So you, want to, you yeah. want to explain that, why that is to me? It certainly isn't because of fundamentals, because all you've had is a weakening housing market and weakening housing starts and all this stuff, right? And yeah. theoretically a weakening, uh, you know, so why is lumber up 25% a month? Well, the positioning has showed that people are massively short there. So they've over-discounted that there, right? Whereas they haven't over-discounted it for whatever reason in other places. Interesting. Now, lumber is a tough market to trade because it's very illiquid, but right. but that's really been the one place where where people have been have been overly short. Interesting. Is Russia a big exporter of lumber? Maybe is that? I mean, this would not be the time for that to be happening. Since I wouldn't even have a clue. Yeah, I <laughs> Canada, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even have a clue. To me, it's mm-hmm. all about. It's all about because people were way too short, and, and now they're covering and they're getting squeezed out. That, that, that's that's all it is to me. Russia, Canada, whoever, housing. To me, that's all just narrative. Okay, interesting. But so that so all right. So, but, but it's, so you see people are short, so that make you interested in going long or not, not yet? Yes. That made me interested in going long back in the beginning of October. Yeah. Okay. And now how long do you stay in the trade? So I'll stay until they're not crowded anymore. Okay. You know, that's kind of up to them, not up to me. Right. Okay. Um, if I'm trading because they're super crowded short, I'm getting long. Well, then we're not, when they're not crowded short anymore, I'm getting out. That's my process. That's the edge. So therefore that's what I'm trying to take advantage of. Right. And do you have the same signals to, to get out of the trade? Does it have to be 95% five? No, once it gets back to neutral, I get out. Okay, okay. But lumber so isn't there yet? No. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess that makes it not a very opportune time to have you on the on the podcast. I mean, from the point of view of what should you trade right now? Yeah. But the point is... It's opportune because what I'm saying is don't try and pick the turns here, right? Which, oh, is, I guess, yeah. which is just as valuable as, as, 100%, 100%. as pick the turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need to know how to stay out of things. Um, or stay short, you sure. know? Yeah. That's that's what I think is, is the trade here, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Stick with your trend followers, basically, you know? mm-hmm. because they're, they're not crowded. So therefore, they should have much more room to run. Cool. All right. Uh, Jason Shapiro, let's take a short break and then come back. And I want to ask you about your background, how you you came to start this firm and uh, some other stuff. But let's first take a break. If you are a premium subscriber, you do not get the break. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. And if you want to become a premium subscriber, you can and should do so by visiting the website contrarianpod.substack.com. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. 
By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website. .com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details, contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. Whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. Welcome back, everybody. Here with Jason Shapiro, JS Trading, the CTA. This is the segment of the show where we ask our guest to tell us more, us more about himself or herself and how they got to this stage of their career. You mentioned that this is your own firm. How did you get into investing in the first place? What were you doing before? Uh, you don't have to mention specific names if you don't want to. Uh, yeah, but just curious. So I got into it. Um... You know, when I was a kid, my first job was in Hong Kong. I worked for Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. I was in like the commercial banking executive development program and uh, I hated it and they hated me. Um, you know, I was not cut from that cloth, so to speak. Um, and I had a friend who was a broker and, you know, in the Hong Kong market, Hang Seng Index Futures. And I, I started to trade it just out of kind of boredom. And, you know, I went through what I think a lot of people go through when they first started trading. It was a bull market. I was buying, I was making money and I was calculating how long it was going to be before, you know, I was the richest guy on earth. Right. Sure. Um, and I clearly made the same mistake a lot of people do, which I, uh, I mistook a bull market for me being a genius. Mm. <laughs> and that's how I started trading, you know, and obviously when the bull market ended, so did my, uh, my genius. Right. Mm -hmm. And so from there, at that point I was hooked and I really loved what I was doing and I wanted to be involved in it. Um, so from there, I went through the process of really trying to figure out what this was all about and how you really made money over time um, in the markets. And it's been a 30-year journey of, of still doing that. Wild. Are you from Hong Kong? Did you grow up in Hong Kong? No, no. I went out there after college. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was there for a couple of years and I moved back in 2017. But Yeah, I was there, there. from like, I want to say 91 to like 96. Okay, that was the pre-turn up, pre-handover days, yeah. Pre-handover, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, uh, different, obviously a diff different time um, in that city's history. Brings up an interesting point that I was looking at last night as an mm -hmm. aside. The Hang Seng Index right now is at the same level it was in 2007. Right. Can you tell me the size of the Hong Kong economy now versus 2007, it's got to be a massive amount bigger than it was in 2007, right? There's been GDP growth every year, right? Well, and not just Hong Kong, but China, right? And the whole China thing, right? 
And meanwhile, the Hang Seng is at the same place that it was in 2007 right now. So, you know, people get into these ideas about the market, right? Um, where, oh, you know, the economy and the this and the that, and, and they have to realize it's just not true. <laughs> you know, I mean, Japan's the same thing. You know, Japan is 30% lower than it was in 1989. You can't tell me that the Japanese economy is not a lot bigger than it was in 1989 and that it's grown since 1989. It has, and the stock market is 30% lower. So this thing that people get into about, you know, GDP and, and, and growth and the economy and all that, it's, it's completely the wrong way to approach the market, if you ask me. And, and those kind of numbers are, are proof in the pudding, right? They, they spend so much time trying to figure these things out and uh, they're wasting their time because they're looking yeah. at the wrong thing. Yeah. And there, probably, there are other ways to explain it, of course, you know, with the China uh, crackdown and all these other things and Chinese economy slowing. Remember, stocks are forward, you know, indicators and such. And so people are, so from that level, it does make some sense, but, but, uh, you know, you're certainly right that a lot of animal spirits do tend to dominate. If, if I told you in 1994, I was in Hong Kong in 1994, okay? And the market at that time, the bull market then peaked at 12,400, okay? okay? 1994. Now, I went to Shanghai in 1995. Shanghai, we stayed at the um, Portman Shangri-La, which was the only hotel at the time that allowed foreigners to stay there. Yeah. It was the biggest building in Shanghai. I think it was 26 stories tall. Okay. And that was what Shanghai looked like. Right. The rest of it was hutangs. Okay. Yeah. I went back to Shanghai in 2008 when I went to the Olympics in Beijing. And Shanghai was what? A good two times the size of New York City. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I could have told you in 1994 that Shanghai was going to be in China, not just Shanghai, all these cities in China, right? Brand spitting new, beautiful cities, right? that China was going to go from that, which was basically nothing, to this. And that the Hang Seng in that time period was going to go from 12.4 to 16,000, up 30% in, what, almost 30 years? There was no possible way. I don't care what you say about slowdown and what's going on now. You would have guessed that the Hong Kong market would be at you know, 600,000 right now. And yeah. sure, maybe it's come down from 600,000 to 300,000, right? Mm -hmm. But you never would have told me that we would be at sixteen thousand if I could, if I could have showed you what China was going to do in that time period, right? Yeah. Remember, ninety five, China people didn't know this was going to go on, right? That was when they first came out, and Deng Xiaoping said, you know, whatever it was, wealth being rich is glorious or something like that, right? But you still didn't know that you were going to have the single biggest economic boom, I would argue, in the history of the entire planet, right? And all you've gotten out of Hong Kong from that is a 30% gain in 30 years. I'm sorry. There's, there's no way anybody could predicted that, right? The big talk back then was, you know, don't put your money in the U.S. markets, right? You should be in, in Asia. That was yeah. the big talk then, right? Asia over time, that's where you should be putting your 401k and doing this and doing that, right? Meanwhile, the Nasdaq's gone up how many times in that time period? And, and Hang Seng's gone up nothing. So, yeah. you know. Interesting dichotomy. I guess, yeah, it can take a long time for things to fundamentals to adjust to reality. I guess, or if if that if they if they ever do, right? I don't think they ever do personally, but in yeah. this case, they may not. Yeah, or, or right. Yeah, but but that's a good point. Like you know, markets can stay rational longer than you can stay solvent. Cool. So okay. So then, how long ago did you start the firm? So this farm I started about three years ago. Okay. Okay. And you're up there in Rhode Island. Yes. I had taken, uh, I had left the hedge fund 
started my own firm, which was a lot bigger and had a lot of people working there. And I ran that for three years and then um, I just didn't enjoy it. And I, I was got divorced and I, I went through a whole sort of life thing. Um, so I shut that and I took about a year and a half off uh, to kind of, you know, get my life together, um, moved up to Rhode Island and then started this firm with the idea of I wasn't going to do it how I did the last time. This is a one man operation. I don't have any people working for me. I will never have people work for me. You know, people ask me, oh, well, what's your capacity? How much money do you want to manage? And I'm like, you know, as much as I can with one person working here, because you know, I'm never having somebody work for me again. That's just not my thing. Right. Yeah. And I also, you know, there's so many aspects to why that is, but, you know, having a big nut and having a big expense, and then you have to go out and raise money and do all. And once you have to raise money, you have to start doing things that, are not necessarily in the best interest of your trading type of thing, right? You have to fit yourself into the boxes that they want to fit you into because you want to raise the money. I don't want to ever be put in a position like that again. So yeah. the clients that I have now know exactly what I do, um, know what my return stream and my process does for their portfolio. And so my only job is to do what I say I do. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's pretty easy for me. So yeah, I think a lot of people have kind of gone that route. I mean, I've certainly in, you know, covering the hedge fund industry have seen that, uh, you know, you have these brilliant traders at prop desks or whatever, when you still had prop desks, I guess you still do, just not at the banks. And they would leave and, and the, the task of, ma of managing a company and employees and, and all these headaches became, you know, too much. And, and it became a different thing than what they were doing before, which is trading and, and making money and, and that's exactly um, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we see that a lot, but it's, it, yeah, it's interesting though. At some point in, in other areas of the economy, you kind of see that too, where people just kind of get a little tired of the bureaucracy and the headache and, and not that I'm speaking for myself here, <laughs> but, but anyway, um, okay. Very interesting. So is there any concern here that, that the, there will never be, do you ever like worry that there's never going to be opportunities again, that this is just going to be how things go? No. Okay. No markets will, I trade enough markets actually across enough assets, you know, markets will move. People will right. move. Positioning will move. And, right. you know, this is the least stuff I've seen in 15 years. Right. Mm, really? But, but it'll come back, you know, huh. There'll be opportunity. There's always opportunity somewhere. You just have to be patient. You know, that's a big part of this, at least for me, right? Is patience, right? And it's also a part of my whole one man thing and all that, and not having a, you know, not having a nut to cover or anything like that. I, I can be patient. I don't have to make money. You know what I mean? I don't have a mortgage. I don't have car payments. I don't have college payments anymore. I, I don't have anything anymore, right? So I can be patient. I can sit back. I mean, and look, I'm up on the year this year. If I don't make another dime the rest of this year, I'm fine and my clients are fine. This space for rent. If you own a small corporation, have a service, or even a podcast of your own that you wish to advertise, you can use the Contrarian Investor Podcast for this purpose. I will happily read an ad and shout out a link to your service at this stage of this podcast. So if you are interested, get in touch, email contrarianpod at gmail.com and let me know what you would propose. 
Obviously, there are limits to the type of things that can be advertised, but rates are low. And there's other ways that this can be marketed as well, using our Twitter account and, of course, the show notes. This distribution is pretty deep. We'll be happy to share any details. So get in touch, contrarianpod at gmail.com. Patience is a big, big part of this, especially when you're picking market turns. You know, they only happen once, right? So patience is a very big part of, of, of contrarian investing, right? They, mm. they say a lot, contrarians get run over, right? Mm. And the reason they get run over because they're not patient. You know, they're, they're buying stocks for the last month. They're buying bonds for the last month. They're, you know, <laughs> they're selling dollar. They're, they're not being patient and, and mm-hmm. they're just buying because it's oversold. And that's, that's a death knell. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, they're just buying because they have the cash and they're bored. That's they right. Sometimes. No, that's especially in bull markets, and it's fine if it goes up, but then it doesn't. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I am fortunate that I've been doing this for a long time now. So that whole aspect of I'm bored, I'm going to make a trade that that doesn't that doesn't come into play. If I'm bored, you know what I mean. I'll watch the Yankee game. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna I don't fool around with trades anymore. Hey, I, I thought I, you said you're from New England. No, I'm kidding. I'm from New Jersey originally. Oh, okay, but you're in New England. Yes, yeah, tough place for a Yankees fan. But okay. A Yankees fan and a Dolphins fan, by the way. Uh, I'm surrounded by nothing but Patriots fans. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But at least I was from Jersey, so I could be a Giant fan when the Giant when the uh, when the Patriot fans all want to squawk. That's but, true. Um, anyway, yeah. So I don't like make trades because I'm bored. You know, I, I consider what I do to be. I have a job to do. You know what I mean? I've told my clients this is what I do. Right? I do this turn picking stuff, which gives negative correlation to the other things in your portfolio. That's my job. Right. So I, I take my job pretty seriously. That's all I do. I don't, I don't make trades because I'm bored or make trades because maybe there's something here. I, I just don't do that stuff. <laughs> and, and I think that's the difference between, you know, trading for fun and, and trading as a, as a profession. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not, a, not fun to point. me. You know? Oh, it's not. No, it's not fun to me. If I want fun, I got plenty of things I can do for fun. You know, I can go okay. play. I can go play guitar. I can go out with my wife. I can go to a concert. I can go to a school. You know, that's fun. This is not fun for me. This is a job. Okay. People want it to be fun, right? If you want to have fun, that's great. You want it to be a hobby, that's great. But how many hobbies do you have that make you money? Right. You know, I have some hobbies. I play guitar. It doesn't make me money. I got to go spend, you know, $2,000 for a new Les Paul. I got to go spend $4,000 for a new amp. No one's paying me for that. You know what I mean? It's a hobby. It costs me money, right? I I don't think hobbies make you money. So this is not a hobby. Hmm. Interesting. But you do enjoy it, I would hope, somewhat. Oh, I enjoy it. Uh Uh, But it's my job. You know what I mean? It's it's work. I, I enjoy it. I love what I do. You know, I yeah, love, yeah. and it's not only do I love it, it's necessary for me because, <laughs> you know, I'm such a, a sort of a contrarian person to begin with, right? That there's not a lot of places that you get satisfaction going against the crowd. You know, trust me at Christmas dinner, when I'm going against the crowd, you know, you're not getting a lot of satisfaction out of there. All I'm doing is making my wife's sister cry and making her mother mad at me and getting getting her mad at me. You know, that's all being contrarian does in those situations, right? But fortunately, in this situation, you can be rewarded for for taking contrarian approach. So not only do I enjoy it, I need it for my mental health, for my mental health and my survival. Yeah. Do you have any any other contrarian views on other things, be it in markets or elsewhere? 
I have contrarian views in everything. Okay. That's the only views I ever take. Like people are like, what's your opinion on this? I'm like, what's your opinion? Because whatever your opinion is, then my opinion is the opposite. That's how I develop my opinion, right? Cool. Um, as crazy as that is, right? I just think people are so wrong so often that that's how I develop my opinions, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just become my, my way, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, you know, there's another element here also, which is it's not just that people are wrong. It's that the media guides people. I know this having worked in media, that they, the, you know, People are very much guided by media. No question. I mean, look, it gets into a very deep philosophical thing, but that's why people are wrong, because they are looking to others to guide them. They don't want to think, right? Because there's a thing, if you think, you can be wrong. And people don't want to be wrong. For whatever reason, I don't. I personally don't understand it. I think being wrong is the greatest thing you can ever do, because how else do you learn lessons other than be wrong? But you know from your dealings with other people, people do not like to be wrong, Right. So therefore, they don't want to form an opinion based on whatever. They want to be told, right? This is what, I, in my view, and I don't want to offend anybody here, but this is all about religion, politics, all this stuff comes from that very basis. And I have friends and family who, who I see do this all the time, all, all their opinions. Oh, well, I know this because I read it in the New York Times. Okay. That's how you know it? Like, really? You know what I mean? But it gives them a fallback. This is why people like to act in crowds, because it gives them a form of safety, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why I fade the crowds, because to me, that type of thinking is wrong, okay? And while you can't prove it in many places, in the market, it does prove out, right? So that's why I do it this way. I mean, you can go throughout all of history and think about when the masses were all agreeing on something. I mean, Nazis, whatever it was, right? They all agree and it becomes like a, a cult thing and, 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 and it's wrong over time. You know, timing it is a different story, right? If you shorted the Nazis the day they started, then you were wrong. But if you were patient and you waited, you know, then you got it right. You know, so that's kind of how it all goes. It's, it, it's a lot deeper than, than just the market. It's really human nature and, 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 and how brains work. Yeah, very cool. And that's a very good actual defense or kind of mission statement for contrarianism um which i've never quite been able to articulate um so it's great that you did that for us and for our listeners yeah so it doesn't sound like you're a big believer in research then i mean in in like other people producing research for you unless it's just raw data i think it's garbage Mm -hmm. it it doesn't make any sense to me Mm -hmm. really you're going to do research on a company I mean, okay, uh, but this is the problem I have with these people all the time. Are we talking about a company here or are we talking about a stock? Mm. Okay. Because just because you could tell me that the company is going to grow revenues at 20%, let's say you're right, even though you're most likely not because they never are, but let's say you're right. Okay. The company is going to grow revenues at 20% a quarter for the next four quarters. Okay. What does that tell me? That tells me that the company is doing well. It tells me zero about what the stock's going to do. Zero, zero. And that's all these people talk about on the TV all day long, right? Jim Cramer is the classic example. He knows a lot about these companies, but not once does he talk about the stock. So that doesn't make sense. And then in retrospect, they come out with, you know, some crap about why the stock went up or down, right? But we're trading stocks. I'm not, but people are trading stocks. You're not trading companies. You you can be the greatest company in the world, right? 
I don't understand what that means, you know? Um, and it could be the worst company in the world. And I don't understand what that means either. The, the question is, which way is the stock going? Yeah, I guess they would say that, you know, you want to be, you know, the whole Buffett monger, you want to be a shareholder in the company and, and you're buying a slice of their future revenues and such. And it's more of a long-term thing and blah, blah, blah. I get it. But Buffett ain't buying the greatest company in the world at 50 times sales either. Okay? No, sure isn't. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like that works because... Uh, He's buying it at discounts, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's that question too, right? Just because mm-hmm. the company's great, well, if it's trading at 50 times, if everybody knows it, i.e., it's everybody's crowded long, right? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that it's not going to do well. You know, you, you could take the five, they have the, the list of the most widely held stocks. I'd be, you could take the five most widely held stocks, let's call those the most crowded five stocks, and short those against the index all day. And over time, you're going to make money. Hmm. Blindly, I don't even care what the stocks are, and you have to figure out which ones to roll and when it comes out of that five list, or is it the five, or is it the top three, or is it the top ten? You know, you'd have to go back and test all that, right? And which when do you roll out of it and roll into another one? You know, you'd have to test all that. But in general, you, you take the X number of most widely held stocks and short them against the rest of the market, you will make money. Hmm. I don't care what the fundamentals are. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. I'm wondering here in closing. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I want to go here, but I'll just ask it. The cryptos. Uh, the reason I ask actually is, uh, well, two reasons. One, I, I, I'm curious if, it, if it's not too long, what your thoughts are. And, and secondly, just the lack of volatility we've seen there in the last month or so, when they haven't really moved at all. Um, if, if, you, if, if this is the type of thing you even look at. I know there are some futures on cryptos, I believe, right now, on Bitcoin. The futures on Bitcoin right now, and the history isn't that long. Yeah. But it has speculators the longest they have ever been in the history of the contract. Right now. Yes. I think it's massively dangerous. I don't can't tell you that I know a thing about the blockchain. Right. I couldn't even tell you what it means. And not only couldn't I tell you what it means, I've yet to have somebody tell me what it means in a way that made any sense. Right. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not young enough. I don't know what it is. But what I do know is they've been massively long crypto for the last, you know, really since the top. And they've done nothing but get longer. Right. So to me, I could almost build my world around that one chart, the commitments of traders for crypto. I can build it around that one chart, okay? Because if crypto has massive longs here, right? Which in my view means that it's going to go down a lot. Because if we're going to, if they're massively long now, where's the market going to be when they're not massively long, right? Which means they're all getting out. It's going to be a lot lower. So where is the world when crypto is 50% lower than here? I wouldn't think that stocks are higher, right? I wouldn't think that interest rates are lower, right? It's going to be more. What's going to get crypto, in theory, to go down that much is this continued sucking out of liquidity. You know, that's what crypto is. It's a liquidity instrument, right? That's how it trades, right? So if there's going to be that much less liquidity, that crypto is going to go down 40, 50%, even in the next year or whatever, then where's the rest of the world going to be at that same point? I could build a whole thesis just around that one COT chart on crypto here. Mm-hmm. So, and, and people get mad at me, you know, oh, you don't know anything about crypto. They're right. But you know what? I don't know anything about any of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have trades all the time in corn and wheat and whatever, you know. I don't know the first thing about it. Well, man, I'm not a farmer. You're going to tell me some farmer doesn't know more than me about wheat? They better, right? I'm freaking some guy sitting here in Rhode Island. You know what I mean? I don't know anything about these things. I don't even know anything about the S&P 500, right? But I know when but they you get know bad. know those 500 stocks, I would think, yeah. 
there's 500 stocks. That's about all I know. No, and I know weed is a grain. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? um, and, and clearly when I'm making a trade, when I'm seeing that things are crowded, I, I'm starting to read. I'm trying to figure out what people are thinking as to why the market is doing that, right? So then I can watch for a sign for when I should go the other way, right? Yeah. So I know a little bit about it, you know, but I certainly don't know as much as people that are really in it. I, 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 and crypto, I don't even know the first thing about. It. I couldn't even tell you the blockchain and all that. I, I don't know what any of that is. That's way but above. But you're not sure Bitcoin. I'm not sure. You're not sure. I, I, I'm. I'm not sure. I don't trade it. Oh, you don't. You don't trade Bitcoin. Okay. 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 No, it doesn't really have a long enough history Fair um, for me to count on the data, um, but. You know, I need like 20 years of history to make sure, you know, if okay. not longer, right? Yeah, you got to waste um, there. But all I'm telling you is they have been buying this thing. They were super long at the top and they've done nothing but buy it the whole way down. And it's just, and, and when you combine that with the fact that the same thing is going on in stocks and bonds and dollar and all that, I think it's, a, like I say, I think it's a very, very dangerous time here. All right. A word of caution to close. Then now, although in, in closing, finally, would you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, about your firm, uh, how to get in touch if they would if they would choose to? So my firm, there's nothing really to to know, you know. I, it's I just don't. You. Uh, I'm close. I'm closed anyway. You know, I don't like new investors or anything like that. So there's nothing really to know. But we did start. I was in this book a couple okay. of years ago. You know, this Market Wizards book, and so suddenly I had hundreds of people contacting me on LinkedIn and all this, and they liked my chapter and could I help them learn how to trade? And, and I think that that's an important thing to do, especially once you hit your fifties and all this, you know, you feel this need to, you know, maybe try and help other people, but I, I couldn't help 300 people at the same time. Obviously I have a, a busy life. So we started this webpage called a crowded And this way it was actually one of the people who contacted me and I told him I can't help 300 people, dude, I'm sorry. And he said, well, what about if I start a web page and, you know, we can put it all on there. So we started, he started that. And I produce a newsletter every weekend, which is a newsletter I've always produced for myself for the last 20 years. It's basically my weekend write-up of positioning and all that, which helps me in my trading. And we printed it up a little bit and we distribute the newsletter on that web page. Um, and then we also started, which I didn't even know what this was, quite frankly, when we start, when he started it, but we started a Discord page. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what that was. Okay. Yeah. But, I'm on Discord. I don't know what it is either. But yeah, go on. Yeah. But it's been great because we have all these people on there now and they're all on Discord and okay. they're talking all day about the markets. And it's, it's been that part has been phenomenal because there's a bunch of people on there and I'm, I'm learning a lot from them as well. You know, there's a bunch of different people that take a different approach to trading than I do. You know, what I really talk about the most in there, yes, I tell them where markets are crowded and I show them like the trades that I'm looking at making and all that. But I think more importantly, I really try to focus with people on the most important things about trading, meaning risk management. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Dis discipline, you know, these yeah. types of things. I I'm not on there to be like, oh, do what I do and make the money. You know, that, that, I, I tell them not to do that. Right. Uh -huh. I say, let's I want to try to help you guys or you people. You know, learn how to fish, right? Instead of me giving you fish, I'd rather have, help you learn how to fish, right? So that's really what I spend most of the time on there talking about. The discipline of trading, the risk management side of trading, the position sizing, the stop law, all this type of stuff is really what I spend a lot of time talking about, but there's other guys on there, other people on there 
who, who talk about other things, a bunch of guys that are into technicals and Elliott Wave and this and that and everything. And um, it's become really interesting. The, the, the Discord page has become, has become a very interesting part of that too, which, you know, and again, you talk about hobbies and what do you do when there's no trades? Well, I can be on there. We talk on there all day. You know what I mean? Go talk to these guys about all kinds of things all day. And that kind of helps me really not have to trade. Right. Very cool. Talk about this stuff. So that's kind of the best place. Crowdedmarketreport.com. We also started doing some YouTube videos, I think under the Mm -hmm. same name. I think it's also under crowded market report uh, on YouTube. Um, So certainly I'm all over there. Okay, cool. I can, I can find those. I'm not sure I'll be able to find the discord. Um, Well, you can't get on the discord unless you, unless you're a subscriber. uh, Yes. Right. Same with mine. Well, technically it's the same with mine, but I let people on, but at least for a little while, then I kick them off. All right, I'll put those all in the show notes and you can go check them out. Jason Shapiro, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Very interesting conversation. I know I learned a ton. I'm sure that our listeners will agree. And with that, we thank you all for listening and look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.